Welcome everyone to All About Windows Phone Insight Podcast 142. We're recording this on Tuesday, the 9th of June 2015. I'm Steve Litchfield. With me, I have Rafe Blanford. Hello, everybody. Yes, great to be back. Quite a few things to get through this week. Various smaller news items, and I think we may end up digesting and having a, a waffling conversation, or rather, I'll be doing the waffling, and Steve will be injecting insightful comments on some of the recent industry news <laughs> as well. I wouldn't bank on it. Um, now, Rafe, you're the guy. You're a guy with lots of friends. You're you're probably uh, someone who's <laughs> au fait with with Facebook. Um, it's worth noting there has been some some minor, well, relatively minor Facebook and Microsoft and Windows Phone related news, and that uh, Facebook has been changing its APIs over the last year or so. And Microsoft had plenty of notice of this, which is why for Windows Phone 8.1, which is getting on for I don't know a year old, I guess, um, they had they've done their Facebook integration in a very different way, basically revolving around the application. The Facebook application, and then that that kind of turns on hooks within the operating system to so that, for example, the Facebook account appears in settings, that sort of thing. Um, but all the Windows Phone 8.0 uh, devices, and there are a few on networks around the uh, around the world which haven't haven't updated for whatever reason. Uh, and of course, Windows Phone 7 phones, there are still a few of those in use, and all of those are basically relying on. Um, the, the old fashioned API um, hooks into Facebook, which have now stopped working. So it's worth noting, I did a brief story that uh, some people using Windows Phone out there in this big wide world may be out of luck in terms of Facebook integration now. Yes, uh, it's an interesting story, this one, Steve, and actually perhaps more serious than you might suggest for some people. Uh, actually, I think this really directly depends on how many friends you have, or, or perhaps I should say uh, how much you use Facebook. Um, I'm probably falling into the camp of not being a massive Facebook user, and certainly I don't rely on it as a source for my contacts information. Um, <laughs> so, you know, in one sense, I fall into the cap of not being very affected by this and actually the Facebook app, you know, perfectly serving my needs. But um, just to give the technical background to this, this is kind of the Facebook Connect thing, which is you know, Facebook actually announced a while ago was was going away. But Microsoft has been relying on it to connect to our, a whole bunch of things in Facebook and to use it as a way of syncing source you know, data back and forth. You know, Facebook has replaced this with various social graph APIs, which you can do a lot of the same functionality, although though not all, which is one of the reasons, I guess, that Microsoft has continued to rely on this. I mean, it's comparable in some ways to uh, what Google has been doing with YouTube or with some of the, the calendar changes for its um, kind of PIM services. Well, I think Facebook's probably been more transparent about this, so it's it's harder to see it as the bad guy. You know, it, it's been quite clear that this stuff is going away. Uh, not to say that Google's been been bad about it, but I think they were a little more hostile to Microsoft and to Windows Phone and to their, their consumers than Facebook has been. Um, but just to be really clear about this, there are some kind of generic Microsoft services that are quite badly affected by this, things like Outlook.com and the contact, I think they're similarly in OneDrive, and actually a bunch of other Microsoft services. And there's also the uh, Social Connection Outlook 2013 and various Office 365 apps as well that had integration to Facebook. Now, on Windows Phone specifically, uh, as you know, there's been this kind of integration into PeopleHub and what you might call this platform level integration, which meant things from Facebook's calendar and contacts went into Windows Phone calendar and contacts. And you know, in the calendar, there would kind of be a Facebook calendar. And in uh, PeopleHub, there, kind of, there was a contact sync and also kind of you could merge Facebook contacts into your own 
contact address book and you can obviously there are other sources as well linkedin and uh, google and you know, indeed uh, microsoft's own services as well so for people who are actually using facebook as a serious source of contact information this is actually pretty serious um uh, as well as calendar information a lot of people organize a lot of their social events through facebook events so it, it does become a pretty serious issue and a bit of a pain because they won't appear now as you rightly identify a lot of the kind of facebook posts and, and, and feeds features now live in the facebook app and i expect that's how a lot of people interact with them uh and it'll be interesting to see whether we will see that sort of integration back into i think particularly with events and calendar will be interesting to see whether that comes back a bit but also the you know obviously the contact sync is a big deal so there is is going to be a gap there uh and i think it depends on how seriously you rely on that facebook integration um from a personal point of view, most of my data is, is sitting or was sitting in Google services. It's sort of actually effectively replicated in uh, Microsoft services now after syncing back and forth in various things. And, you know, Facebook has only ever been kind of a secondary source and providing the odd profile picture. Um, and actually it's similar for me for, for LinkedIn. So not a big thing, but actually I, I think this is perhaps a bigger news story than you might have suggested with your, your opening, Steve, for those that are very, Facebook dependent and oh, pro yes. pro probably worth bearing in mind that they're, you know, with a billion users, um, and some people who use it, I know almost on an hourly basis. I think Facebook is, is more important. Um, it's probably worth saying, you know, we do see these kind of effects happening on, on other platforms. Um, and it, do you think that's fair? Maybe a bit more serious than you first suggested, but very much dependent on how important Facebook is in your life. Uh, and you know, once it is important, how much you rely on it as a data source for kind of calendar and contact entries. I think for the, you know, the Facebook feed updates, that's not a big deal. You know, the app is the best way to consume them. And I expect that's the way most people do. But you know, birthday reminders, kind of reminders of events organized through Facebook and particularly contact information, that I feel is quite a big deal. Oh, but those sort of things, they still come in via the Facebook application in Windows Phone 8.1. And uh, let's face it, it, Joe Blogs, who actually uses Facebook a lot, unlike us, <laughs> us tech elite, uh, Joe Blogs, who uses Facebook a lot, the very first thing he does, if he wants Facebook, he, he taps on the Facebook icon on his start, you know, his, his tile, where he goes to the application list and taps on Facebook. They, they, for them, Facebook is the application. For mm -hmm. them, Facebook is tapping on the icon and up comes the app with the reminders, with the notifications, with the birthdays, with everything, including all their contacts, all the profile pictures, all wonderfully there. They have no concept. These sort of normal users, normal mobs, they have zero concept of PIM, um, contacts and calendar syncing and integrating at the OS level. They probably didn't even know that the People Hub or the People application had any kind of Facebook <laughs> integration in the first place. There was only really the old, win old time Windows Phone 7 users who even knew about that. And vice versa, the people who are probably listening to this podcast who don't perhaps quite use um, Facebook quite so much, um, they, they probably wouldn't let Facebook within a, within a, a mile of their, uh, their PIM data. So I, I still don't think it's that big a deal. Uh, it's interesting, yeah. I mean, it'd be interesting to get some user feedback on this, how people are uh, upset about it. I certainly haven't seen a massive outpouring of rage or anything. Um, I'm sure the audience would be joking. That's because there's not enough Windows phone users to generate that kind of reaction on the social media channels. But as someone who has used um, and has, you know, connected to Facebook using the service and sort of did benefit from seeing a certain number of profile pictures come down, I, I feel that I have to sort of, 
so I think this is a bit of a, a, a big deal. That's something that Microsoft needs to think about. And obviously it's either you remove the, that kind of syncing functionality. And it's always been a big selling point of Windows Phone that it kind of does all that hard work of integrating multiple sources of PIM data for you. And um, perhaps because I'm not very organized, um, I do have it spread across multiple services and multiple sources. And so I always like the fact it made it very easy for me to get everything in one place. I mean, I grant you that, you know, the, the groups that you identify certainly exist and make up the majority, but I would suggest there's also, if we draw a nice Venn diagram, some of those that sit in the middle <laughs> uh, and, and are affected by that. Um, but yes, it's, it's, yeah. it, it's probably a case of, you know, it's not the sky is falling or anything, but it's certainly going to upset a few people. Yeah, the, the thing that puzzled me, actually, we mentioned Outlook.com, for example. In other words, at the ecosystem level, um, it seems like Microsoft and Facebook just aren't talking properly. Now, Outlook.com is not its not a firmware on a phone that you might take six months to update. Well, Outlook.com is a website. It's just a collection of scripts and bits of code. What on earth has Microsoft not changed Outlook.com and the Live.com? and hotmail.com with all their you know wonderful OneDrive and contacts and calendar and office online all this wonderful stuff how on earth has that not been patched to work with the new facebook apis after umpteen months yeah it, it, it it's interesting this i mean i don't have the familiarity with the kind of the social graph api to say whether all of it would be possible but at the very least i would have expected there to be some kind of fallback to get some of the functionality or at least think about how you could link to it in a in a way that you know has less obvious kind of impact and you know it is also things like uh, the windows 8 uh, photos app and actually that would also uh, apply to windows phone as well and it, it it just feels like you know this is the thing you sort of need to watch out for and it, it's obviously a bad news story i mean it does raise some interesting questions about you know when you're an ecosystem you know you're a platform provider or in the service provider and you're integrating with other things how much risk do you take on by being dependent on others versus having full control yourself? And, you know, Microsoft is in that position where it does need to integrate with others because it's not necessarily a market leader or certainly people want to use other services when they're on, you know, the Windows platform, particularly in mobile. And so they're kind of between a rock and a hard place. And if you, you know, look at Google or Apple, you know, they certainly encourage um, their users to use their own services but they do make a certain amount of provision for others as well and we kind of saw this with um, what happened on apple iphone with maps and apple introduced its own maps and you know, google was kind of caught out a little bit in some senses uh, but there's now provision for both and actually the most recent stat says um 3.5 x as apple would have us say it. in other words three and a half times more people use apple maps versus google maps and that's kind of talking to the power of the you know pre-installed or the default app but it, it, it's also about, you know, the dependency on other people's ecosystems. And Google could, in theory, say, uh, I don't want to continue supporting Apple. They've kind of said that about Windows Phone because they don't think it's big enough. Um, and so there is a, a wider issue here that I think is an interesting debate. As these you know, platforms become more complex and the services are a bigger part of them, you know, the interdependency and things that could break if they get removed, uh, you know, moves out of the control sometimes of the the platform player and you know I, I do think about you know all the cloud storages and how dependent we're on them of course those service providers are kind of beholden to 
wanting to keep their market, want to keep customers. So they're going to do their best to support it. But there are going to be circumstances where things stop working. And you now I'm reminded quite powerfully of what happened to the Symbian ecosystem, that a lot of value was leached out of that as various online components were switched off. Now, that's obviously directly associated with essentially the shutting down of an ecosystem. It's slowly dying away. But you can see kind of what happens potentially to an ecosystem to a platform if some of these things are are taken away now in, in that case it was just as much about the platform provider switching things off as it was third parties uh, but it, it's just an interesting reminder of the vulnerability if you like of these these platforms that are now so interdependent in some ways um that you know if uh, google suddenly disappears or decides to kind of play hardball with apple that has a serious impact on ios users or iphone users and actually to a certain extent vice versa uh, for some things and particularly you know with the way microsoft is doing things it's kind of doing the everywhere approach if in the future it decides you know it doesn't want to support a platform does that sort of pull out a certain amount of value you know you can imagine you know office 365 not being available on one of the other platforms now at the moment it's clearly not in microsoft's interest to do that does might that change in the future you know what does that mean for the investments that Android or Apple might choose to make. And certainly Apple has very much taken the attitude they want to control as much as possible themselves. And Google's, you know, so big, it's kind of taken a similar approach. Um, but that becomes harder to do. And of course, you know, what's the justification for continuing the development of your own service when something else is so popular that, you know, everyone on your platform, even if they've got their kind of the platform version is using it. And we'll, we'll see this a little bit, I think, in the music space, you know, with Spotify becoming very, very strong player and Google, Microsoft and Apple now have each created their own streaming music services in, in one way or another. Yet they haven't really competed with Spotify in, in volume terms. It'd be interesting to see whether Apple can do it with the recent announced Apple Music, but kind of Google uh, Play All Areas or Google Music, it's kind of got various namings and Xbox don't seem to have caught on in quite the same way or have the same kind of popular allure as something like Spotify. And, you know, what does that mean for them? And what does it mean for those users that do choose to adopt those? And you can think of it several ways around. So it's a, a kind of a long-winded diversion from this Facebook API thing, but it, it, it does make me think about kind of, as I say, the vulnerability of the value building in these platforms, particularly for something uh, where... You know, because there isn't a large customer usage, it, it, it becomes more justifiable to withdraw it. And actually, Windows Phone will be very vulnerable to this threat because you know a lot of the you know, providers will go, well, why should we continue supporting the minority platform? And we've kind of seen a, a hint of this with some of the bank saying, we're withdrawing our app for Windows Phone or we're no longer supporting it officially as a platform. Facebook Connect had been a fundamental part of something going on on Android or on iOS. I suspect Facebook would have found a way to continue supporting it. Yeah. Well, at least you admitted that was a long-winded diversion. I didn't have to point it out. <laughs> <laughs> I do have two segues for you, Rave. Um, Excellent. Heads, heads or tails? Tails. Tails. Okay, I've got t- this is the second segue. Uh, this in terms of services and applications being withdrawn. Lumia Camera Classic has been withdrawn high-end phones. I was rather disappointed to notice that uh, up till now on devices like the Lumia 830, 930, 1520, Lumia Icon, etc., we've had the choice of Lumia Camera Classic, which actually shipped on the original firmware with these phones, or the new Lumia Camera 5, and they 
both have their pros and cons, very different image processing, but it was nice to have the choice and you could assign either one to the shutter button, you could use either one when you wanted to, etc. But I've just, I did try and, uh, after wiping my 930 for various reasons, I tried reinstalling Lumia Camera Classic and found it had disappeared. It wasn't from the store as far as the 930 was concerned. And it's now been an untagged full high-end phone, so forcing everyone to use Lumia Camera 5 only. And I think this is kind of a shame. I did do a feature on this, Rafe, and with some of the, you know, the typical before and after um, image processing uh, crops, one-to-one crops. I have to say for landscapes and anything with a you want anything where you want any kind of natural detail the lumia camera classic was much better and the uh, lumia camera 5 much much sharper we've covered this in previous podcasts but in in all fairness for typical subjects for example food food on your plate at dinner time uh, a flower on your table um a, the person sitting next to you uh, that the birds sitting in a cage next to you your cat your dog any of those sort of t- typical typical man in the street photo subjects actually lumia camera 5 does a very very good job because the enhancements and the sharpening etc etc they may not be to everyone's taste and they're certainly no good for my typical sunsets landscapes and steam train shots but for the average man in the street shots i think lumia camera 5 probably does a better job and as such i'm kind of torn really i'm disappointed to see lcc as i call it lumia camera classic withdrawn for these camera um, flagships in the Windows Phone ecosystem. But at the same time, okay, maybe it, was, it simplifies it for users, users to just have the one camera app. Yes, I mean, I think that's what it comes down to, it, it's simplicity. I spent many, many years complaining about the fact that on various devices, there were often multiple ways to do the same things. And video players used to be a particular bone of contention. And cameras have actually sort of had this in more recent times I will always be in favour of simplicity so you don't have the the scenario where you go, well, which camera app am I supposed to be using? Because the majority of the world isn't like Steve who will choose the camera app that gives him the best results depending on what photo he's planning to take. You know, most people are just going <laughs> to hit that camera icon. They're going to hit the camera shutter button to, to get everything started. But, um, you know, you're right in the sense of taking away, away choice for creatives, I suppose, is, is going to be frowned on. Uh, but you're right. I mean, having looked through some of the comparisons, it's pretty clear that uh, Lumia Camera 5 does provide superior results in almost all of the cases. And there is a subjective element to that when I say that. So, you know, you could back, you know, possibly take that back and say, you know, there are some people will have preferences the other way. Um, the other factor to consider here, of course, is that uh, it becomes a bit of a maintenance nightmare for the imaging teams when you've got to think about um, maintaining and making sure that multiple camera apps work on multiple devices things become quite different i think probably the honest truth is here that lumia camera classic wasn't being tuned for some of the kind of newer devices um, even when it was still available once it moved away from being the default application and as a result that's why we're seeing this performance differences between them because you know in reality you know they're both the official apps you would hope that in fully automatic settings there there would actually be any difference you would absolutely expect it to be once you start fiddling about with the settings because uh, in theory you'd expect the kind of imaging stack to be the same regardless but of course actually this is a pretty good indication that um the lumia camera 5 actually has extra processing or extra things that it does in order to get a better picture and so i i i can't mourn this as a kind of change that's happened um and certainly looking through your examples for me lumia camera 5 you know had the edge 
in pretty much every test scenario and certainly in my own experience of testing photos that that's been true there are some occasions when perhaps it's a little bit too vibrant or that you know color accuracy is you know, I, I think i've gone on record before as saying I, I tend to prefer the sort of more passive processing of slightly more muted colors in one sense but i know i'm in the minority in that and you know that would be a fairly easy fix in one sense and in, in, if they uh in uh, Lumia Camera 5, introduce some kind of control that let you set the, I think we've talked about it before on the 808, they had the vividness control. I'd love to see that come back. It feels like a very academic discussion, this, because I suspect most people don't even realise they necessarily have the choice, because they'll just use whatever the default is when they get it out of the box. But I, I guess for the, um, the your, your fellow imaging nerd, Steve, it's, it's probably something to lament a little bit, even if in your heart of hearts you know it's probably the right thing. And just to take a, an example from the Blandford Estate, imagine you're strolling around the Blandford Estate, which I've actually visited. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> no, I have. I can't believe that's getting into from the three six one podcast. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to have words. If you want to hear more about that, go and listen to three six one podcast dot com. But I would would emphasise it's all in the imaginations of um, Ben and Yuen, and now it seems Steve as well. Well, no, in actual fact, not quite, because I was referring to your your country home, which has, is a real country home. Admittedly, it, you know, it's where you used to live before you moved to the big smoke. Anyway, um, if you imagine you're strolling out into the, into the back garden and there's a nice little pond and, and you take a photo of the pond and the rushes and, and with Lumia Camera 5 and you take it back inside and you, I think you'd be quite disappointed when you actually looked at the photo. Having said that, you'd swivel around and take a photograph of the geese or whatever it was. You might then take a photograph of your, the, 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 the owls and a photograph of the cat. You'd photograph your you know, your, your family. Um, and all of those latter photographs, I think, would come out better with LC5. So I think this is absolutely Microsoft um, and Nokia, the ex-Nokia imaging engineers thinking, OK, well, we, we know Steve Litchfield, that, that imaging geek for writing from all about Windows Phone, that, that pain in our bottom. We know that he's going to do one-to-one crops and he's going to say, we want natural, we want sunsets, we want steam trains, we want cliffs, we want uh, g- gorgeous green pastures. However, most people don't photograph those things. And if they do, they don't look at them that closely. So we're going to optimize it for all the things that normally people photograph and i think that's basically what they've done and we shouldn't forget rafe that there's going to be another camera app coming along very soon because there's the windows 10 comes with a, essentially a dist- distillation of all of the um, previous windows phone camera apps building in the nokia imaging technology into this single application just called a camera within within windows phone 10 or windows 10 mobile i should say um which will have the rich capture which have the new algorithms will have the speed of processing because it'll be using the multiple cores in the, in the phones um and so when windows 10 hits that th- again there won't be that any complication and hopefully it'll have the best of all of these previous versions of the camera at least that's what i hope uh, yes i think you may be hoping in vain i think uh Microsoft will probably end up, we might get back to a situation of having multiple cameras because it's far from clear whether, um, you know, there'll be the Windows 10 camera app and whether there will still be a Lumia camera app. But I guess we'll wait and see on that and report in due course. I I guess it's also worth saying that there are a lot of third-party camera apps, well, many of which actually integrate with the camera capture button as well. And so, you know, if you're looking to take a particular type of shot it might well be worth investigating those as well i mean i know for example pro shot has a, a number of fans out there uh, yeah there is also you know a, a performance issue on on some devices i tend to find that um particularly after the denim update lumia camera has uh, 
better performance. It's the shot to shot time. It's the startup time, um, particularly compared to Lumia Camera Classic. But I haven't actually tested it on every single device. So it'd be interesting to hear from people if they've got any particular experiences on that. And so, you know, it comes back to the chestnut we often end up talking about is, you know, what's the best camera app for capturing your memories? And absolutely, I think it's, you know, Lumia Camera 5. I think the landscape example you draw out there is actually an interesting one. I've, I've taken some great landscape shots on both and, you know, I'd have to be pretty picky to pick out the difference between the two. But I think, yeah, you're probably right. That may be one of them. And so maybe that's something that should be looked at, um, you know, by, the, by the imaging teams. But even then, I think, you know, landscapes can mean so many things, um, you know, and often can be quite a challenging composition for a, a camera to capture. And uh, I think we've talked about this before. So we both like taking our landscape and our, our nature shots, but I think don't think that's very typical um, from the type of pictures that normally get taken with smartphones, which do tend to in- include more close-up shots, more family shots, that kind of, uh, I guess you'd say, the casual photos, that memory capture thing, um, and uh, probably less as people trying to be artists. And, and uh, yeah, probably lots of cat pictures. So that's one thing when I, I do run with the herd. <laughs> and of course, if, if you're talking about someone who's a real imaging purist and they want to take, uh, you know, take landscapes, for example, then they'll, they'll know all about ProShot and OneShot and these third-party apps, and they will absolutely be trying those and find the one that suits their needs with just the right JPEG compression, just the right exposure and vividness control, etc., etc. So I, th- I think the, the third-party application scene will probably take care of all the people who are not satisfied with whatever Microsoft come up with. But moving on, we did have a second segue. Excellent. So heads time. <laughs> it is. You mentioned Apple Maps and Google Maps, and just to say that um, Here Maps, which is still currently the um, the mapping and navigation s- solution of choice on Windows Phone for most people, anyway, um, did have a big data update this week. It's it's quite quite reassuring, really, to know that uh, uh, a year after the Here team, now owned by the old Nokia, if, if that's not too confusing, um, decided to branch out into Android and iOS and the desktop, etc., and cars. <laughs> after they all chose to do all this, they're still updating the, the maps in a fully compatible form that they can still be appreciated and new downloadable offline maps for all the Windows phone users out there. Yeah, absolutely great news. Uh, you know, this is something that's okay. It's a contractual obligation to keep the maps updated, but even so, it's always something to celebrate and kind of the, the freshness and the quality of the maps. And uh, I would say usual thing, caveat if it depends where you are, has been and always will be, I think, one of the, the highlights of uh, the here maps. So, you know, although I think you still get people talking about wanting Google Maps on Windows Phone, you know, I think that we're not poorly served by any means in, in this department. Uh, I do remember talking to uh, the here team a while back and they actually talked about how they changed their whole kind of back end the servers and the way that maps were provisioned in order to be able to move to this model of providing frequent updates and sort of keeping maps as fresh as possible and so that was actually designed independently and to be agnostic of any particular client that was using it and so these kind of map updates go out to all the platforms and obviously there is some work to be done to get it into whichever app or source we're talking about, and particularly when you start talking about things like uh, updates for cars. But nonetheless, that does mean the whole system was set up with that in mind. And one of the consequences of that is, of course, we get these regular map updates basically you know, on, on a quarterly basis. Um, they can actually push the updates out even even more urgently than that if there's some kind of big change that needs to be taken into account of. I guess that would be things like you know a, a bridge being closed for a long period of time or some kind of emergency event. 
And yes, it, you know, it, it's a good thing to do. And um, I like the fact that you get the prompt to download and update the maps just as built into the platform and then you get them across all the all the apps and actually you know it, it is one of the highlights of windows phone that doesn't get very talked about very much is that you know you do get this you know, this great mapping service on the downside it does have to be said that some of the third-party apis for maps aren't the most robust in the world that's one of the reasons you don't see as many third-party apps as you should using the windows phone kind of built-in platform and having had some experience of maybe some Windows Phone development on this, um, there's a bit of a memory hog and the performance isn't great, particularly when you're trying to scroll around a map that has quite a few pins in it, which, of course, is typically the thing you'll be doing with a third-party app. So there there was, as we talked about, maybe a bit of a gap between here and Microsoft Teams on who was responsible for that. And uh, to my knowledge, it hasn't actually been sorted out. So it'll be interesting to see with Windows 10, how that comes along. I, I should say it's not that it doesn't work because it does, but there are definitely some performance constraints and there's a few bugs in some of those mapping APIs. And that applies to third parties. So I'm not talking about the first party here apps in this instance. Um, but yes, you know, celebrate the updates. Great thing to have. It's an important part of the platform. Yeah. And anecdotally, um, the, the, uh, these updates also rolled out to Symbian, the long-forgotten uh, wow. Nokia platform, um, which has officially stopped being supported, I guess, or at least updated two, three years ago. And uh, in the last month or two, there have been a, there was a new offline map um, data update pack for all the Symbian users out there. So, yes, <laughs> really rather unexpected. It caught me completely by surprise, but uh, good to see. Yes, and also, of course, available uh, now that the Here apps are available on other platforms, the updates have come through for those as well. I think perhaps they haven't got as much attention. I mean, it's, as I mentioned earlier, the uh, default install map is always going to do better on any of the competing platforms. But uh, if you have uh, switched to Android or you particularly like uh, Here, you can, of course, now get it on other platforms. Uh, we haven't really mentioned that in the past, but uh, that was part of the kind of thing that was yeah. expected to happen as Here became its own unit. You know, And honestly, for a, a, a mapping app and for a whole mapping platform, it makes sense to be available on as many platforms as possible because, you know, that familiarity and that strength of being cross-platform, I think, is is a, a real bonus, especially for those of us who um, use multiple devices and like having all our map favourites and sort of data and that you know how things look in the same across multiple devices. Yeah, and we should also note to people following the rest of the mobile industry that Android M, which is uh, uh, Google's new offering, of course, coming later this year, um, and, and the version of Maps that kind of comes along with it, does now or will support full offline maps in the same way that Here Maps has been doing for years. So it does seem as if the three different... Uh, uh, ecosystems, if you like, they are really matching each other, blow for blow across, you know, music, maps, and PIM, and Office. At every stage, each of these uh, three major players are trying to match each other. Voice assistants, that's another major one, where it's, it's very much a three, three-headed, three-legged, three-legged race, three-headed race, three, three-horse race. That's it. <laughs> three uh, also, race. Also, <laughs> also worth noting that. Um, the Windows 10 Maps app, which we're starting to see in the Insiders preview, and of course we're all going to get in in a, a few months' time, um, isn't quite Here Maps. In fact, it does use part of the data from Here Maps, but it also pulls in maps from other sources, including Bing Maps and Microsoft's own sources, and there are a few other mapping companies around the world who also chip in. And we have had anecdotal reports, right, that uh, people have been unhappy with the Here Maps coverage in their country or in their, their town, have been happier with the 
the the Microsoft maps, if you like, the, this combined um, collation of data from multiple sources presented as Microsoft maps, either at the moment on the web and also going forward in Windows 10 mobile. Yeah, it's an interesting one. We did touch on this in an earlier podcast when having kind of installed the, the alpha version or the insiders program, you do get to play with some of these new apps. And uh, Maps is one of those apps which is going universal, kind of this uh, single app across the desktop, laptop, tablets, and uh, phones, of course. Uh, lots of the features are, are quite clearly inherited from uh, the current Here app on, on Windows Phone 8. And when I say inherited, it's probably more accurate to say, you know, you you're, can expect to see feature parity for most things. There is still some question mark over some of the uh, features like My Commute, for example, which are sort of rather more specialist and it's not quite clear what's going to happen to things like Here Transit. I mean, in terms of compatibility, there's no reason why those apps can't, you know, run on Windows 10 Mobile, but it does seem likely that at the very least the default app is going to kind of be changed um, uh, in fact, we know that's going to happen. It's been talked about in the various keynotes of Bill and some of the other kind of preview events. Um, and so it kind of does, you know, she suggests that here is going to go back to being more of a kind of map and data provider, which in some ways was its, its greatest strength. I mean, that's where the acquisition came from. Navtech going back a long time, obviously, with, with Nokia. But as you say, it wasn't always absolutely perfect. And I think that came across both in things like the, the place database map coverage in some countries. Japan was always the example um, that was, you know, cited. And also, of course, you know, things like the street side imagery, which Microsoft has been pushing more um, with Bing and kind of Bing maps. We saw that. And that's one of the other things we expect to kind of see more of in the, the Windows 10 map apps. Now, I've been trying to type in a, a, something about Cortana into the show notes, and every time I do that in the Skype instant messaging we're using uh, here at uh, All About Windows Phone Towers, um, Skype autocorrects Cortana to certain, which is quite amusing, really, because maybe Cortana is certain of things, which would be quite appropriate. But I th you'd have thought Microsoft's own product, i.e. Skype, would know about its own voice assistant, Cortana. That's rather a bit of an own goal there, Microsoft. Anyway, um, Cortana um, has been enhanced at the server side, so this is nothing people really need to do. Uh, on their phones to help air travelers and people going on trips specifically and i quote here from the blurb in trip planet and cortana on my windows phone several hours before your trip find out when to leave for the airport what the weather is like where you're going and the status of your flight and basically they just toggle where you can turn that facility on and i'm guessing rafe that um, cortana is basically mining your your email accounts that it knows about on the phone. It's also looking at your calendar. It's looking at your current location, which, of course, Cortana knows all about. Uh, and then from those, it can kind of pull out all the information it needs server-side and then stream it into Cortana on the phone. I, we, we've already seen exactly this sort of thing with Google Now, of course, on the Android platform. So in, in a sense, this is catch-up. But it's it's quite impressive how, mu how much of this just can happen server-side and users just start to reap the benefits. Absolutely, you know, and it's this kind of semi-intelligence that's built into Cortana, and it's all based off this kind of contextual data, as you say, you know, it's coming from your personal data, and some people may have concerns about that, and that's why kind of having the ability to switch it off and on on an interest-by-interest -interest basis is actually one of the rather nice things uh, about Cortana. But yeah, this is great, you know, it will pop up kind of effectively alert saying you know, you've got, you can check in now, and 
as Microsoft described it, you get the best seats. It'll also tell you, you know, whether your flight's actually on time or not. And it'll tell you what time you need to get to the airport, taking into account traffic conditions, that kind of information. You know, there's quite a lot of things having to go on there that it knows about. So it obviously needs to know about the time of your plane. Then it needs to get real time information about that. Then it needs to know where you currently are and, you know, your likely method of transport and whether there's going to be any traffic on the way. So all those kind of things add up to what's quite a, a valuable information for something that's actually just, you know, displayed across a kind of, well, it's a single tile and then a short sentence. Um, and yes, uh, as, as you said, rightly say, it's kind of impressive that this can sort of all be done on the server side where these updates just appearing and, and long may they continue because of course the value of cortana and uh, google now is exactly the same is only useful when it starts doing useful things for you obviously the chance of that goes up the more things it's capable of doing i mean uh, cortana for me is actually pretty useful when i've got to get to a certain location for a meeting or something like that and it will tell me that i kind of need to leave or it'll tell me how long it's going to take to get home because of traffic or something like that and also the weather forecast and actually the, the thing i probably use most is just a quick update on sort of news stories because i've personalized the the topics to me um I, I i kind of feel that as i use it more i'd like to see a little bit more done to kind of make the whole ux uh, uh, kind of the layout of cortana perhaps increase the, the density or just think about the way that could be a little bit more flexible um you know google now and you know apple's actually out something similar at wwdc feel like it might have a bit more flexibility and I'd maybe like more control over when it injected a kind of notification into the system as well. So, you know, there's clearly still work to do on that. None of the platforms are, are, are perfect on this and actually you know, Cortana, because I'm familiar with it, is probably the one um, I use most often. Uh, but these kind of personal assistants are, are really great. And of course, you know, a lot of it can come from the server side because that's where a lot of the intelligence is is happening. It's interesting you make those comments about layout, and I, I know exactly what you mean. Cortana, you kind of have to go to Cortana, and then it presents everything in a linear list. But I, I would give one big tip, is that to, obviously people have a Cortana a tile on their start screen, but to make that tile as large as it can be, which at the moment is what we call double wide, but I'm expecting, in, and certainly in Windows 10, to be able to have that wider. I'd like to have a Cortana tile a triple wide across the screen, and that's just not just to have a, a larger, you know, circle that, that, that animates or a weather a weather symbol that animates but that when something does happen that Cortana wants to let, let you know about as Google does Google now does on Android it will actually bring up information in that tile to do with for example news headlines um, travel updates to do with the fly that's coming up or whatever it happens to be so I want to see yes I agree with you I want to see more use of that Cortana live tile and I'd like to see it triple wide so that it goes spans the entire width of my smartphone screen and then I think we'll be close to what Google now does and yet, with hopefully with more modernity and more intelligence at the back end, so I do think Microsoft has got some pretty neat ideas there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. And um, I do think some of the prediction stuff that Cortana has done has been pretty impressive, just from a, a point of view of how it's achieved and the actually that they've been able to achieve. You know, things like predicting the the winner of various football games or even Eurovision Song Contest and and things like that. Um, and as you say, the live tile is a great way of bringing that to your attention. It sometimes feels it could be a little more effective. Maybe I'm being very picky there, but certainly I think it, we're still learning about how that kind of um, in-the-moment information is, is best presented to you. And you know, each of the platforms does it in, in different ways. You know, Apple probably is perhaps strongest on the lock screen integration. Um, you know, Google, by the nature of Google now, 
um, so it presents it pretty well on the home screen, um, but perhaps it can be a little bit too dominating there. And obviously we've got the Cortana lifestyle and, you know, in terms of actually getting to things, just pressing the search button because the easiest way of accessing any of those kind of personal assistants that uh, I can think of. Yeah. And it will be interesting as they become more important, you know, can they be more integrated into the platform? And certainly one of the things that uh, Google, Apple and actually Microsoft are all pushing is this idea that this might start appearing in apps, uh, both their own ones that are built into the platform and third-party ones as well, and sort of how you attract and deal with that kind of attention and without annoying or interrupting users is going to be a, an interesting one because I absolutely believe these kind of things that, uh, and I would call it out-of-app interactions or the micro-moments, are going to be a really fundamental part of kind of smartphones in the next few years because having to deep dive into an app isn't always convenient um, but you want to be able to deep link into the app where appropriate. And that's something that uh, I think Apple is going to be promoting quite a lot in the future. I, I think all the platforms will. Cortana doesn't really do it much yet, kind of in the news headlines, I guess. But this ability to sort of go from this surface information or Cortana, if you want to take action, absolutely, you, you might want to go into an app. And actually kind of this travel one that we've been talking about is an interesting one. Um, it can make you aware of it, and there is obviously a certain amount of intelligence in it, but it would be great if it could know which airline you're flying and therefore identify the right app and therefore identify kind of the right deep link into the checking part of that app or whatever it happens to be, and that's kind of the thing I expect to see in the future. Yeah, absolutely. We have just time for one more tiny new news item, Condor Electronics, an Algerian manufacturer apparently, and I couldn't actually find evidence of it shipping anywhere except Algeria, but it, it has produced another of these fairly low-end Windows phones. And this is a kind of interest. Now, the reason I even reported on it, because we do see about one of these a week, is the fact this one actually comes with a gig of RAM and 8 gigabyte of internal storage, which I have been saying for a while is kind of the minimum requirement for a decent Windows 10 experience in a few months' time. So it's good to see these at least one of these low-end um, new manufacturers, Rafe, actually thinking ahead and not just producing the absolute bottom-end lowest lowest of the low budget smartphone but actually producing something which does have a chance of being future-proof albeit with a wvga screen absolutely and yes you know this is the kind of the, the low end stuff but it feels a little bit more future-proof um i actually thought the griff w1 i misread it is giraffe w1 i kind of um, that's a better name i i wish it had been that but uh there are also a couple of these devices at computex including some that were being termed as the kind of the first windows 10 mobile devices in the world that's kind of a bit of a, a bit misleading in one sense because all of these devices are going to be windows 10 mobile capable uh but yes you know you're right this one i think to be fair, caught the attention a bit more. The, the design is very box standard. And um, when we say it's an Algerian company, I'm pretty certain that this is still going to be being manufactured in China. It's just that the company that's doing kind of the distribution is Algerian. And as Steve says, it's going to be about £50 high street price in, in the Algerian market. I think we've previously gone on the record pretty strongly as saying we still recommend you get one of the mainstream phones. But for some people, it might not be a choice. And you know, these kind of devices are interesting. So it is, you're right, good to see one that kind of makes sensible decisions around the memory uh, kind of specifications. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We're kind of out of time for this podcast. What I'd like to do in next week's, uh, Rafe, is to cover a few of the uh, wider features and wider implications. We t you mentioned uh, WWDC Apple's um, big uh, annual conference announcing the future for 
Um, for example, Mac OS competing with things like the Microsoft Surface, and of course iOS 9 competing with Windows 10 Mobile. There's quite a bit of a comparison, so I think we probably could do in a future podcast in terms of uh, which company is, is ahead, which company's vision is right. So maybe we can cover that in next week along with the podcast, along with some of the news. Yeah, I think that's a, a good call. Of course, we've had uh, Google I.O. relatively recently as well. And, yeah. you know, that kind of completes the, you know, the three big developer conferences for the year, all of which kind of look ahead to the next version of the respective operating systems. And I think what's been interesting about that, just as a kind of teaser for what we'll be talking about next time, is up until this point, we've seen, as we've kind of talked about in this podcast, actually, all the platforms kind of racing to get the same features, kind of the certain amount of parity. And, you know, one of the consequences of that is, of course, burrowing features from each other. And depending on which side of the fence you fit on, you'll be able to find, you know, some, you know, Google stolen from Apple or Apple stolen from Google. And actually, you know, this time around, it's been interesting to see them both pick up things from kind of the Windows world. But going forward, I think actually the kind of the philosophies that they espouse, you know, how they work with cloud, how they work with services, their attitude to security and data are actually somewhat contrasting. So in some ways, I, I kind of expect them to to move apart. And there's kind of the first hints of that. So I think that'll be an interesting discussion topic, as well as talking about one of the things that's close to our hearts about how you know, all of them, kind of the smartphone is now not just something that sits on its own, but much part of a much bigger whole in a way that it just hasn't been in the past. So absolutely a good topic for next time. We'll also go through the usual news and look at some of the features that Steve's been writing. But that is a good point for me to, to sign off. So thank you, as ever, to everyone for listening. And back to Steve for the final goodbye. Yes, tempting though it is to launch in with my riposte to what Rafe just said. I'm going to save that for next week because I agree. There's there's so much to talk about, and we could probably examine the platforms uh, in, in a number of different categories and just exp- explain what, why we think particular platforms are ahead. So watch out for that. In the meantime, I'll say goodbye. We'll catch you next week on the All About Windows Phone Insight podcast. <laughs>